we started this book for a quick review because all this should be or could be, it is tied together and it should be quick, but you know, you get a long-winded person and it takes weeks. But Paul is writing to the Colossians and explaining to them very briefly that they are God's children. Now remember, these were Gentiles in the flesh, the great majority of them. We started this with the book of Philemon, the love that God had placed in that slave for the Lord Jesus Christ, the, the Onesimus and Philemon and the love that was there in Christ, uh, Paul beseeching him that for the love of Christ he would forgive the slave who had betrayed him and robbed him and left, and now he was prosperous to the church of God because God had touched him. God had given him life. God had given him the knowledge of Christ, the revelation of Jesus Christ. And he was now profitable to Paul in serving him in the ministry and to the church. Now, as we've come through this book, we've talked about Christ. We've talked about the He is the power and the wisdom of God. He's the living Word of God. When God spoke, when the world was void without form and darkness was upon the face of the deep, it was dead just like those people in the graveyard, just like we are spiritually by our very nature. But when God spoke and the Spirit of God moved upon the face of the waters, the light appeared just like when God speaks to us in this world as we are walking according to the course of our nature and puts light in our heart and that light is Christ and we have life. And just like those in the grave which will be raised up at the voice of Christ, the voice of the archangel, the last trump, the trumpet, the gospel trumpet. There will be no more need of the gospel trumpet because we shall see Him as He is. Paul is teaching these Gentiles of the power of the Christ of God, of the knowledge of the Christ of God. There's absolutely nothing in here that we did or had any way to do or any choice to do. And in our nature of sin, inherited from Adam, if we could have done it, we would not have done it and would have no pleasure in it because we were sinners by our nature, our very existence. We were in rebellion to God. But Paul said, I think in Romans 5, that Christ died for us while we were at enmity with Him. Catch that. Fighting against Him. He died for us. Paul has taught them how Christ, the power and wisdom of God, that God spoke the world into existence, Genesis 1 and 1. The same power in John 1, in the beginning was the Word, that is Christ, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's giving to us the spiritual creation where Christ dies for us, His Spirit is placed within us, and we have life. If you know God, if you love God, if your heart melts, when you sit in the darkness and dwell, I mean the darkness of the night, maybe in the bed like I do, you can't sleep, and you think about the love of Christ and the being of Christ and your heart melts with love, then brethren, you are born of God. You had nothing to do with that. I'll go even farther, for God is love. And he that loveth is born of God. If a man has a love, I'm talking about a scriptural love, loves his wife as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it, and his children, then he's born of God. If the woman loves her husband, she's born of God. God is love. Where there God is not, there is no love. And we see that manifested in the world. But Paul is speaking here. We're coming to chapter 2 where we're at now. The conflict within us is our spirit within us fights against the will of the flesh. That's why the Lord said men ought always to pray for the spirit is willing but the flesh is weak. As we live in this world and Satan tries to conquer us, he cannot conquer us. 
He cannot take us from God. The song we sang, it is finished from John 19.30, the last words that Christ said upon the cross, it is finished, and He bowed His head and gave up the ghost. He died to save His people from their sins. So therefore, the work of Him saving His people from their sins is finished. There's nothing to be added to it, and certainly nothing can be taken away. If God loves you, then Christ died for you. If you love God, then Christ died for you and you have eternal life. You may not experience much of it in this world. Now here in the kingdom, we express, we, we enjoy it to a deeper depth because here we sit under the influence of the Gospel and the sound of the Gospel and we learn of Christ and our hearts melt. But a child of God cannot walk in this world as a thief in the, on the cross and never know God or never know Christ until the very point of even death as a thief on the cross who cried, Lord, remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. He had previously been attacking the Lord, but all of a sudden, with no preacher, no church, and no Sunday school, and it certainly was not his choice, his work, or his being, but all of a sudden, Lord, there's the word, Lord, my Master. Remember me when thou comest into thy kingdom. And the Lord Jesus Christ said, Verily I say unto thee, This day shalt thou be with me in paradise. Let's stay with the text. Paul is teaching them of this Christ and how we are built up in the gospel, in the love of God, he says in Ephesians. As one body of whom Christ is the head, and then he comes down and tells us, as we have received the Lord, so walk ye in Him. Well, we've already proven the fact in this short of time that we're dead in sin and we're at enmity with God, so we cannot make a decision to receive the Lord in the way the doctrine of the world teaches you. So what does the word receive mean? It means that you lay hold on Him as a family member in great love and affection. You cling to Him. We go to the Old Testament. We see where Jacob wrestled with Israel. I mean with God. God changed His name to Israel. He grabbed hold. He would not let go. When God has given us life, and we understand and we hear the Gospel. And we grab hold of Christ. And we refuse to let go. Because He is our only hope. He is our only help. He is our Creator, our Redeemer. The love of our life and our life eternal. So as we have received Him, we've been born of the Spirit, and we lay hold on Him. Remember, life must precede action. We first must be alive before we can hear His voice and know Him or see Him. But Paul comes on and he says uh, to turn away from the philosophies of the world, the religions of the world. These are Gentiles. On one hand, they had their Gentile idols the household gods, the national gods, and all of these things they prayed to continuous daily, which did absolutely nothing to save them eternally or temporally in this world. It did them absolutely no good. They made them with their hands and overlaid them with gold or silver or whatever the case may be. They had power over their gods. I thank God for the knowledge of Jesus Christ. I cannot approach unto Him in my sinful condition that I am by nature. It is God who created us both physically and spiritually. It is God who loved us. It is God who has saved us. God without beginning. God without ending. God who is here with us today. And Paul tells him about this, and he talks about him being the fullness of the Godhead bodily in the works of the Lord Jesus Christ and in His person as a man born of a woman. Catch that. God can't suffer. Christ suffered. He was all man and yet all God. The very Son of God. He had no father earthly. His father was God. Therefore, He had no 
inherited sin. His mother was a virgin. She had not been corrupted by man. Therefore, his birth was pure. He is the fullness of the Godhead bodily. In Him, we saw Him give life, give hearing, give sight, cause the lame to walk, calm the seas. In Him is manifested the fullness of the Godhead bodily. We could go on, but we've already done this. We're getting to the point of where we should be today. And He says, you're complete in Him. He's the head of all principality and power. And I'll say this before moving on, going back to Hebrews 2. Christ, in laying His body down, my goodness, the Jews expected Him to come and fight with an army, but in the brilliant wisdom of God, the Son of God was made flesh and laid His life down, dying the death that we were due, suffering for us, bearing all the penalty of the law for us that we might live. And in that, destroyed death because by one man sin entered the world and death for that all have sinned. He died for our sins past, present, and tomorrow. You are pure in the eye of God. And in doing that, He destroyed death and Satan and the power that the principalities and powers of darkness on this earth have over His people. Revelation 12, for the accuser of our brethren is cast down. And we talked last week about this, the circumcision. And whom also ye are circumcised of circumcision made without hands and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. Now Christ was circumcised on the eighth day because He kept the law to a jot and a tittle. We talked last week about the circumcision, the covenant of circumcision that God gave to Abram and when He changed His name to Abraham. Under the law, this is commanded. Christ fulfilled the law. This circumcision is not made by hands. This circumcision, we went to Ezekiel 36. God has taken away your heart of stone and given you a heart of flesh. There's the circumcision of the heart. And we talked about the Jeremiah 31.31. That the day would come that God would make a new covenant with the house of Israel. That plainly means His people. And that He would write His law upon their inward parts. Christ is the law of God. He fulfilled it. He's the testimony of God. He writes Christ on our heart. How do we know God? By revelation. I'll make this statement again and hopefully move on. Peter, the Lord, Matthew, I think 16 Whom do men say that I, the Son of Man, am? Elias, John the Baptist, one of the prophets. But whom think ye that I am? And Peter said, Thou art the Christ, the Son of the living God. Pay attention to what the Lord told him. Blessed art thou, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood hath not revealed this unto thee, it unto thee, but my Father which is in heaven. If you know God, God has revealed Himself to you. We make mention again, the woman at the well in John 4. Talked to the Lord, saw Him. Did not know who He was. She knew He was a prophet. He asked her of the Messiah. She said, when Messiah comes, she did not know who He was until He revealed Himself unto her and said, I that speak unto thee am He. And by the way, I'll add this. This woman who basically was a prostitute, a sinner, Christ loved because He revealed Himself unto her. Now you think about that a while when somebody wants to feel self-righteous. But we talked about the circumcision 
made with hands. God's work in giving us life. In revealing Himself to us. We were sinners. We were separated from God. Driven away in the sins of Adam. And yet Christ made atonement. And brought us back to God. And reveals Himself to us. Now we start today's text. If I get there... He said, we're circumcised and putting off the body of the sins of the flesh by the circumcision of Christ. When God gives us life, He turns us from our sin and He turns our sin from us. He causes us to loathe our former self, Ezekiel 36. And we look to Christ and we strive even though we fail greatly. We strive to follow the Lord. None of us will attain perfection in this world until this body is laid down for this body of flesh is still a body of sin. And then he comes on and says, buried with Him in baptism. We're buried with Christ. We spoke last week from 1 Peter 3. Speaking of Christ, I told you we'd pick up here again today, but I had to get to this point. He talks about Christ suffering for sins, the just for the unjust, Christ to crucify Him, the Jews cried out, release unto us Barabbas. Barabbas, a murderer guilty of sedition, a male factor that represents us. Christ died for the ungodly, those that He loved. I'll say this, if Christ died for every son of Adam, then every son of Adam will be in heaven in immortal glory. But we know that is not the case. The world that Christ died for was the world the Father gave Him. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of Him that sent me. And this is the Father's will, which hath sent me, that of all which He hath given me, I should lose nothing and raise it up again at the last day. Stay with the point. Baptism. He speaks of baptism being a in water, fully immersed. It shows us we're showing our faith in Christ by going into the complete submersion in the water. Showing us that Christ died and entered into the grave for us. And when we come forth, it represents our faith that Christ came forth from the grave. Three days and three nights. There was not enough time for the body to see compose, uh, decompose, decomposition. That's the word I wanted. And He came forth. Baptism is the answer of a good conscience toward God. There is a saving in baptism. It is a temporal saving of professing your faith that God has given you. Because faith is the fruit of the Spirit. You must be born of God. You had no choice being born of your parents. You had no choice being born of God. That is the work of God, the hand of God, and it's all for the glory of God. We come forth into life. We come into the kingdom. After we have life, baptism represents Coming forth in Christ, we have the temporal salvation of dwelling with like-minded people who love the Lord. Tell me where else in this world you're going to come into a congregation with no hard-nosed, hard-hearted street cop and a lawyer like John and doctors, and there are, and nurses, and poor farmers and poor people who have to keep one set of clothes. I've seen this in my childhood. One set of clothes to wear every single Sunday because they were so poor they could not afford another, yet God blessed them to eat and take care of them. Where else would you see this gathered together? Only in Christ. Only God's children. And they have this... They have this love, this unity, this bond because they have an unction from the Holy One. They have the Spirit of God within them. And where in their nature they may have hated each other while they were still had no knowledge of God, but when God touches them and gives them life to love, they share and care for each other and help and pray for each other. 
It's all in Christ. The bond of Christ. Now, buried with Him in baptism. That's not the baptism being spoken of. That's a baptism where we have temporal salvation in this world by coming into the kingdom of God and having the peace and joy which passeth understanding through the knowledge of the Christ of God, the power and the wisdom and the love. For I have loved thee with an everlasting love. Without going back, will never stop. Eternity has no beginning. Going forward, it never ends. Eternity has no end. And God is the only eternal creature, yet He has given us eternal life. But He says we're buried with Him in baptism. Okay? Buried with Him in baptism. I think Matthew 3 is where I want to be. For one place. We find John the Baptist. Of course, we talked last week briefly about this in another sense, but John was the one sent to prepare the way of the Lord. He came preaching repentance and the remission of sins. And the children of God would come down to the river Jordan and be baptized of Him, confessing their sins. Let me make a point here. Do you know you are a sinner? If you do, then you are born of God. God does not reveal this to all of Adam's race. God reveals this to His people. One of my favorite verses I go to quite often. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced, and they shall mourn as one that mourneth for his only son. Put this with Ezekiel 36 when God gives us a heart of flesh. And we loathe our former self. We loathe our sin. We know we're sinners. Matthew 3. John is preaching, repent ye and baptizing. Well, here come the religious elite of the world who occupied the religious capital of the world, the temple in Jerusalem, because it was the law service that God gave to Moses. It was perfect in its time for what God intended it to be, to declare unto us the righteousness of God, and therefore teach us of our sin, We were kept under the law until grace appeared. And through grace you can see your sin that only Christ could keep the law and He did and only Christ could fulfill the law and that is finished. But John is preaching to these, I'm going to use the word self-righteous Pharisees and scribes, Sadducees and scribes, You see, going through Scripture, they robbed widows' houses. They worshipped the temple and uh, the gold and silver in the temple more than the temple of God itself, which is to represent where God dwelt. And they came down to the river because quite frankly, they're getting a little worried because this is going on. John is baptizing. Christ is coming. They rejected Him and they hated Him without a cause because everything they had was going to be taken away. All their power, all their fame. Can we see that today in other areas of life and religion too? But John is preaching, get on my point, The Sadducees came down to Him, the Pharisees, and Sadducees did not even believe in the resurrection of the dead. And John looked up and saw them and said, Oh, generation of vipers, snakes. Oh, do we see the snake in the garden and begin to wonder whose children they may be? Who hath warned you to flee from the wrath to come? This is not the eternity of the lake of fire. Oh, there is one. Don't misunderstand me, but let's keep things in text and context. This is talking about the wrath of God upon the city of Jerusalem on those that rejected the Lord and told Pilate, let His blood be upon us and our children. Crucify this man Christ and release unto us Barabbas. Okay? 
That's the wrath, the total destruction of Jerusalem. Who has warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bring there forth therefore fruits, meet for repentance, and think not to say within yourselves, We have Abraham to our father. For I say unto you that God is able to these stones raise up children unto Abraham. Here's proof of the context. And now also the axe is laid unto the root of the trees. The tree of the lost service is going to be cut down. Remember the fig tree which bore not fruit? And Christ touched it and it died. It faded away. Therefore every tree which bringeth not forth good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Remember that. Here we go. It's John. I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance. But he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. Now Mark and Luke and John all say, I'm not worthy to unloose. Let's take Jewish tradition and history to explain it this with, because he's talking to Jewish men. In that day, and previous to that, when the master would come in to the house, the lowest slave, the lowest of the low, would remove his master's shoes, sandals, shoes and would bear them and lay them aside and clean his feet. He would also undress him and bathe him. But John is making the point here, I am not worthy to unloose his shoe latchet and to bear his shoes. This man whom Christ said, among them born of women, there is not a greater than John the Baptist, is portraying himself truly as nothing, yea, less than nothing, as we all are before God. He is beneath the lowest servant. That's how he's professing himself to be. Now, let's go one more place. And I hope God will bless me to give you this in understanding. Back to the book of Ruth. This is a type of what we're seeing with John the Baptist in Christ. You know the story of Ruth, Naomi, the family, their husband had died come back into their homeland. She has. They're coming with her. They're not from there. Does that teach us Gentiles coming into the kingdom at one point in time? <clears throat> Just something to think about. We come to the point that they had nothing to eat and by the law, and the law is love in the way that God designs it. By the law, the rich farmers were to leave their crops on the corners so the poor could glean the crops. They were to care for the poor and the widows. That's why John James rather tells us that pure and undefiled religion before God the Father in love is to love the widows, to visit them and the fatherless, to take care of those that are without, to be compassionate to all, but especially to the children of God. He's not telling us to love the wicked in such a way that we love them as a family member. He's telling us to be compassionate and provide things to people that are in need, especially those of the household of faith. But let's go back to the text. Here in 4 of Ruth, Boaz is the man who owns this farm, this vineyard. This young lady has been Gleaning. Ruth has been taking from the crops legally. She's not stealing. That her and her mistress could have something to eat and survive in this world. Things provided. And you could talk about how things worked out, but I see the providence of God in all this. The time came down 
that she lay at Boaz's feet and he woke up and saw her and it scared him. She had been put up to do this in order that he would take her and marry her because he was a kinsman. Okay, let me try to make sense of this. So much here, it should be alone in a text and maybe someday. But this is the law of God. She lay there, covered up at his feet. He saw her. He's scared. He told her, don't tell anybody. He said, I'm going to redeem thee. We see in the law where if thy, first of all, if thy brother's wife, if the brother dies, his brother is to take her to wife and raise up seed to his brother that has died. And I'll go ahead and give you a head start on this. If he refused to do so, then the widow of his brother was to loose his shoe from off his foot and spit in his face, okay? Now, it was law to glean. It was law for the passing of the shoe. It was law that the kinsman was to redeem the handmaid. Okay? So Boaz and the law and custom, and just like us and everybody else, they change things to their betterment. When we get to will worship, we'll talk about that a little bit. But he said, there's one who is a near kinsman to thee, Ruth, than I. Lest he say, I took thee by deceit without his knowledge, and I'm just paraphrasing this. We're going to sit with him and give him the opportunity to redeem you. His name's not even mentioned because he's not important. He does not matter except for the point being made. Boaz sat down with him, explained to him about Ruth and Naomi. I'll redeem her. I'll redeem the property. He said, well, you have to take this handmaid also. Well, this man apparently is married and has children. Oh, I love this. And does not want to mar his inheritance. Okay? He's married. He's got children. His inheritance by the law of the Jews goes to his oldest son. He does not want to mar his lawful inheritance. Can you see the Jews looking at Christ? Can you see the Jews, religious Jews I'm talking about, Pharisees, scribes, looking at Gentiles whom they considered dogs? They could not even enter into the temple. They had one little place they could be. I cannot do this. It will mar my inheritance. I cannot redeem it for myself, verse 6, lest I mar my own inheritance. And he tells Boaz, redeem thou my right to thyself, for I cannot redeem it. Now let me keep this simple and in context. He was older than Boaz. Therefore, he was nearer of a kinsman to her than Boaz. Now you go back to John. There cometh one after me who's mightier than me, of course, the Creator of heaven and earth, whose shoe latchet I'm not worthy to unloose. John was about six months older than the Lord. Therefore, John is the nearer kinsman, but John could not redeem us, for John was a sinner. It took the Son of the living God being made flesh to save His people from their sins. Now, this was the matter in former time in Israel concerning redeeming and concerning changing. For to confirm all things, the man plucked off a shoe and gave it to his neighbor. And this was a testimony. This was done, if I can find it in a moment and remember it, I'll read it. He said, buy it for thee. So he drew off his shoe. Here's the, here's the proof. The, just like the circumcision was a token of the covenant God made and God kept. With Abraham, this is a token of the agreement, the bondage, the bond between them. 
And I'm going to catch this, verse 10, Moreover, Ruth the Moabitess, the wife of Malon, have I purchased to be my wife. We are the bride of Christ to raise up the name of the dead. <laughs> oh, Lord, thank You. We were dead in trespassing sins. I inherited sin and death from my daddy. He inherited it from his daddy. And he inherited it from his daddy all the way back to Adam by whom sin and death entered the world. God would, He would raise up the name of the dead. Christ raised us up. Raised up the name of the dead upon His inheritance. That's the importance of our inheritance here in the world in the kingdom of God that we have. It is the, the kingdom of the Lord. For it is the Father's good pleasure to give unto you the kingdom. Remember, 1 and 13 of Colossians, He's translated us into the kingdom of His dear Son. He's placed us here. We didn't come because we had a good heart and a warm, fuzzy feeling. We came because God gave us life and God placed us here. Now you see as He gave that shoe to Boaz and what came forth from that. And if you want to think about that, go back and read about Boaz, and, I mean, uh, and, and Obed and David and the Lord coming from David. David the king after the Lord's own heart, God's own heart, to sit upon the throne of Israel and all that came from that, but that will be another day. John said, I indeed baptize you with water into repentance, but he that cometh after me is mightier than I, whose shoes I am not worthy to bear. He, here's the baptism in Colossians, shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire. There's the baptism. Paul has said, God, you've got all the fullness of God in Christ. Peter said that we have everything pertaining to life and godliness. God has freely given to us. We don't need anything else. We, we have all we need that God has given us. We need to walk in it. Eternal life is bought and paid for. Everyone that loves God will inherit that. Some of them will not love God until the point they die. And that's proven by the thief on the cross. Some of them die in the womb. That's proven by Pharaoh killing the infants in Egypt and Herod killing those young people in Jerusalem. John the Baptist leapt with joy in his mother's womb when Mary walked up to Christ child. He was born of God in the womb of his mother. Therefore, we love God. That's the baptism of the Holy Ghost. Paul said, He circumcised your heart. He changed your heart. He took away your heart of stone. He gave you a heart of flesh. He baptized you in the Holy Ghost. You went with Him to death. He's your federal head. When He died, every child of God died with Him. Read Romans 6. What did we die to? We died to the law. We died to the law of sin and death. We're no more bound by the law. Every sin, every violation of the law, both what is inherited, what is committed, and what sins of omission we do, they're all clean in Christ. We're baptized in His Spirit. We're given life. We've gone forth into death with Him. We've came forth unto justification of life with Him. And through all of this, we have the knowledge of Christ. And He also says, which gives us peace, and He also says, with fire. These Jewish people were going to suffer some fire. The Romans, I don't care if you think it, God suffered it. I don't think if you care if you think God ordained it. It's a very fine line between that. And I don't question God. There's nothing in this world happens without God knowing it and allowing it. People talk about the wicked. They live, they live, they live, they live. Forever and ever doing wickedness. 
Do we never stop and consider the wisdom of God? They live and God suffers their wickedness. That it will be justified in the sight of all at the day of the resurrection that they are wicked when God turns to the wicked. Those that do all the heinous crimes we read about and see and says, depart from me in the lake of fire, the everlasting lake of fire. And he turns to the sheep, his children, and says, come, inherit the kingdom. They're justified in Christ, and they're condemned in their wickedness and their works. But to stay with the text, he shall baptize you with the Holy Ghost and with fire, whose fan is in his hand, You've seen a fan, you sweep the floor with it. My grandmother used to knock all the grass out of her yard and stare it with a little broom like a fan. He's cleaning up wheat. He's separating the wheat from the chaff. Whose fan is in his hand, he will thoroughly purge his floor in the barn, in the garner, where everything, all the wheat is laid, where all the corn is laid. He'll sweep it. He'll separate the good from the bad. We'll talk about good and bad further on in this context. And the reason God manifested it to them and what you can and cannot touch and eat, but whose fan is in His hand, and He will thoroughly purge His floor and gather His wheat into the garner, but He will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. And there is a fire coming which never fades away. It's everlasting lake of fire. Now, back to Colossians and Paul with these Gentiles. Paul is teaching these people who had been without God in the world. They worship idols. They hear of Christ. They learn of Christ. They're born of God and seek after Christ. Just like we do in the world, they had all sorts of winds of doctrines with Satan producing them, trying to lure them away. Well, it's your works. You have to work to get there. You have to do this. You have to do that. Well, send me some money because it's, it's money. God needs money. God does not need anything And we're told what to do with money to help support the poor and to take care of our homes and the church. And that's what that's for. Now, buried with Him in baptism of the Spirit, wherein also you were risen with Him through the faith, the operation of God, we rise up and walk with Him through faith. You see there, it's my faith. Where did you get your faith? Faith is the fruit of the Spirit. All men have not faith. The ungodly, the natural man cannot receive the things of God. But every single child of God will have faith before He leaves this world in death because He has to be changed to stand before the Lord in heaven. He has to be given life. He has to be quickened. He has to have the knowledge upon His heart. So therefore, every child of God at some point between conception and death will have faith. It may be just for a moment. Because He'll be born of the Spirit and faith is a fruit of the Spirit. It may be a fleeting moment at death when he cries out, Lord, that's enough. Lord. But that's faith in his heart. And you, being dead, and your sins, and uncircumcision of your flesh, Remember, he's talking to Gentiles amongst all their idols and all the winds of doctrine. Here are the Jews. Many of them, after they crucified Christ, some of them went forth as wolves among sheep's clothing, as they do today, seeking power, fame, glory, and money. They were told they had to be circumcised. You can't be perfect before you're circumcised. Because God told Abraham, walk before me and be thou perfect and gave him the circumcision of the foreskin. So you must be circumcised. They heard all these things. Paul is telling them, God has circumcised you. 
Christ has baptized you. You being dead, you were by nature dead in your sins. Paul said, and you hath he quickened who were dead in trespassing sins in Ephesians 2. And you, this is the personal Savior. Put your name here. Do you love God? Do you love Christ? Do you believe Jesus is the Christ of God? Then you have eternal life. That's what John said. You have it already. You're in possession of it. God gave you that belief. God gave you His Spirit. God revealed Him unto you. You see Him. You know Him. You believe Him. Then you have eternal life. And you being dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your flesh, this body, hath He quickened, given life, together with Him, Christ, having forgiven you. Watch this little three-letter word. It entails so much. All trespasses. Past, present, and future. I was a sinner yesterday. I was a sinner when I was born. I'm a sinner today. We'll leave here. We'll get down maybe to stare it, and I'll have something cross my mind that makes me mad, that makes me angry, that causes me to turn in some way away from God. That's the devil in that conflict eating at me. Christ has taken care of that. I'll tell you this, if you suffer affliction like that, you are a child of God. Rejoice. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinance. Oh, wait a minute, let me finish this. And you hath He quickened together with Him, having forgiven you all trespasses. Let me close. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of the way, nailing it to His cross. Some people, and I understand that the law was given to Israel, the nation, but you've got to understand that nation of Israel is a type of the spiritual Israel. As God created the heaven and the earth, and sin entered the world, Genesis, John 1, we see... A new creation in Christ Jesus. For you are a new creature. Christ is within you. Just as we see that, the law was given to physical Israel, Exodus 19 and 20 and 21, with all of the laws and ordinances and rituals and feasts, things that we cannot do, Things that would never justify us, and as you're going to see probably in the next text, things that have no effect on us at all. We are not bound to them. That was in the law. Christ has fulfilled the law to a jot and a tittle, the smallest points of language. There's nothing left out. It is finished. Blotting out the handwriting and ordinances that was against us. Why was it against us? Because it is the righteousness of God, what God is, what we are commanded to be, and what we cannot be and are not. It was against us. Remember Jeremiah, I think six, it may be five, where the Lord, no, Joshua, I'm sorry. When Joshua sat there and he saw a man above him and before him with a sword in his hand, and he said, Art thou for us or for our adversaries? He said, I'm the captain of the Lord's host. That was Christ. He's above us. He's against us in the sense that He is righteous. God, we could not stand before God. I'm not saying He's against us. He loves us. He died for us. I'm making the point that all of this was against us in the law because we are sin ourselves. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us because we're sinners, and took it out of the way, took it out of the way, the law, nailing it, 
to his cross. God gave Adam one commandment. Adam disobeyed it. In mercy, God drove Adam from the garden. Our sin is contrary to God. The law, therefore, is contrary to us. Christ took the law out of the way. It is finished. He fulfilled every form of justice due to mankind. He fulfilled it for His people upon the cross. We read of the beating of Christ, the nails going through His hands and His feet, and we see the great suffering and anguish and physical suffering that He had. But brethren, there's even more than that to the three hours of darkness when God forsook His Son and could not look upon Him because His body He bore His sin, our sin in His body, and God could not look upon Him. We cannot even imagine in this body of sin in which we dwell what our Lord suffered for us. Can you see the great love of God? Do you love God? Do you believe Jesus is the Christ? He did this for you. He did this for you. I get no credit. I don't want it. I'm a sinner. Blotting out the handwriting of ordinances that was against us, which was contrary to us, and took it out of His way, nailing it to His cross. And I'll go one more verse, and we'll pick up here again next week. And having spoiled principalities and powers, the powers of hell and darkness, He made a show of them openly. <laughs> How did He do that? When He ascended back into heaven. The cloud of witness. And I've told you this before, let's bring it up again. When Christ was born in the world, the host of the heavenly multitude were there praising God. Jude tells us that when Christ appears the second time without sin and salvation, when Jude appears, that all the angels and saints of God will come with him bearing witness. He is the Christ and be reunited with their body, spirit, and soul. Matthew 27. The bodies of the saints which slept arose and came out of the graves after His resurrection, for He was the first. And went into the holy city and appeared unto many. Now, if they were there to bear witness at His birth, and they were there to bear witness of His return and final victory, certainly, certainly, those who came forth from the grave were carried up into heaven with Christ above, bearing witness in the power of God that He had raised them from the dead. I believe that with all my heart. I believe that's why Job said, for I know that my Redeemer liveth, and in the latter days He shall stand upon the earth, and even though my skin worms have destroyed this body, yet in my flesh I shall see God. I believe Job was one of the ones that came forth to grave. And went to the holy city. I believe Job was one of the ones as a witness, a cloud of witness, went with Christ to glory. He spoiled principalities and powers. He made a show of them openly, triumphing over them in it.